Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I am your host, Tim Silverwood, and our guest on the podcast today is Tom Dawkins, who is the co-founder and CEO of Start Some Good, which is Australia's leading cause-based crowdfunding platform. He's also a guru of the social entrepreneur landscape and a man driven by making a positive social and environmental impact. One of the things we speak about in this podcast is a campaign that we collaborated on with Austral Fisheries called Seafood for Good. If you've been following the OIO journey of recent times, you would have seen us announcing applications for this Seafood for Good Accelerator and recently announcing that the crowdfunding campaign for the two finalists is now live. Those two finalists are Seaweedery, who have come up with a novel approach to using Austral's prawn waste as a beautiful, delicious prawn oil that can turn you into a culinary star. And the other one, Farmer Meets Foodie, who's creating a really seamless supply chain solution to bring Austral's sustainable seafood to your door. Now this campaign is live, so you can actually go and support both those startups uh, by following the lead from Start Some Good but it does close at the end of September. So at the end of this conversation, we actually flick over from the conversation with Tom to talk to Natalie Kalanova, who's one of the founders of Seaweedery. So it's a nice conversation. We go really deep with Tom. He's a big thinker. He gives us a big chunk of information about the state of the world and what he's doing to try and create a positive impact. And then we get to shine a light on the guys from Seaweedery and their novel solution to seafood waste and a circular economy solution. Hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please talk about it, send us some love, rate the podcast. You know we love that stuff. Thanks as always for tuning in to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Hi everyone, Tim Silverwood here from Ocean Impact Organization, and we're performing another Going Live With, and our guest today will be Tom Dawkins, who is the co-founder and CEO of Start Some Good, who are a purpose-based crowdfunding platform. So we are going to be talking a lot today about the role of business in creating positive social environmental impact. I really can't wait to speak with Tom. He really is a brilliant mind, such a big thinker when it comes to all things social and environmental impact. How's things going with OIO? Well, we're uh, now three and a half weeks into the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2020 which means we've really only got two weeks from Monday to go. So applications close on the 5th of October, 2020. I'll tell you what though, the response so far really has been phenomenal. We are overwhelmed with the applications that have been coming in from all over the world. So we can't wait to share with you who the finalists are after the 5th of October. And of course, the winner will be announced on the 4th of November, 2020. And this is really the first of many programs that OIO will be designing and delivering to help people out there start, grow, and invest in businesses that positively impact the ocean. 
So make sure you tell your friends about it. It's um, really getting down to the wire now. Not only do you need to get your step one written application in, you will also need to submit your step two, if you meet the criteria, your pitch video, and all that needs to be in by the 5th of October uh, 2020. So a little bit about uh, Tom Dawkins, obviously he'll be here very soon to tell us all about his passion and all the work that he does, but start some good, um, they go back to 2011, and so they've been doing this great work in supporting projects for a really long time. In terms of the amount of projects that they've supported or they've seen funded, 1,107 successful projects have gone through Start Some Good. So that's a pretty impressive number. And the amount of money that has been raised to support those projects, $11,642,000. So they are a serious player when it comes to crowdfunding. And they really do some great work, as I said before, in shining a light on projects that really are built around creating social and environmental positive impact. So Tom is a, a bit of a first timer to Instagram Live, so I wonder how he's going there trying to access the feature. It's a bit tricky when you're doing these Instagram Lives because you are required to uh, identify where you can request to join the live at the other end. And once that request comes through, I've obviously got to accept it and then we can start our conversation. Uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about today in the podcast with Tom is the Seafood for Good Accelerator, which is a partnership between Start Some Good, Austral Fisheries, and it's supported by Ocean Impact Organization and Blue X. And the whole idea here was to try and find uh, solutions to fill this gap between Austral Fisheries sustainable seafood. So how to fill that gap between the trawler and the table. How do we open up more channels and more opportunities to get Austral products out there in the market? And it's actually now live. The, um, the opportunity for you is for the two finalists who are seaweedery and farmer meets foodie. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that once we uh, get stuck into our conversation today. But here is Tom Dawkins. Hello, how are you, mate? Good day, Tim. Doing good. How are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. If I hadn't had to shave half my beard off for the half cut campaign a few weeks ago, I might be able to um, rival that beautiful beard of yours. But uh, no, I've gone back to basics. Yeah, it's my it's my great achievement of the COVID period. Yeah, so far, <laughs> the biggest beard I've ever had. Well, I think you that... know you've got a serious beard. I've just I've just recently hit the point in where where I felt feel a need to actually like, brush it before I do a call like this, and I feel like that's when you know you've hit a certain kind of milestone. Do you uh, when you start worrying about it? Yeah, and you take a certain posture when it comes time to to uh, brush that beard. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have all this like beard product now. I was just telling everyone. And a very unruly dog. I might just let her into the room. I've locked, sorry, I've locked my dog out of the room because she might disturb us, but now she's just outside the door <laughs> barking, which is not better. So I'm just going to let her in. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, my dog is still sleeping right, right. in a blanket, so can't hear her. But if someone comes to the front door, it will definitely hear my dog too. So it's been a big day for you. 
Tom, let's um, let's start right there. Um, big news about the Start Some Good platform evolving. Do you want to open up with a little bit of a spiel about the new feature? Yeah, for sure. So today we launched recurring crowdfunding. So unlike the kind of time limited goal, kind of financial goal focused uh, once off crowdfunding campaigns that we've been doing for the last nine years, uh, there's a slightly different need in the community at the moment as a result of COVID and, and just generally as organizations mature that it's less about those one off campaigns and more about cultivating that community of supporters that can see you through tough times, help you evolve and obviously grow your impact. And so something that's, you know, been on our mind for, for, for a long time, but we really knuckled down over the last few months and, and built it. And we're really excited to unveil it today. And, and we already have 10 campaigns that have launched with us today, including some of our, some, you know, some organizations in the, in the kind of social enterprise world that we really admire, like Catalyzer and Needed Tutor and Digital Storytellers. Uh, and we ourselves have used it to unveil a new kind of community offering, the Starting Good uh, Network, which is kind of a low, a, a low cost monthly kind of subscription. Um, product, you know, recurring as per the as per the new functionality, um, but which gives people access to all the kind of live events and uh, you know exclusive content and coaching and other sorts of um, uh, resources within our ecosystem. So it's kind of like a a double launch today. It's a, it's a really big day, and we're, I'm, I'm I'm kind of excited that we've we've made it through. Everything's going good so far. Nothing broke. So I'm just beginning to. To relax a bit, a little bit, just crack my first beer and hanging out with you, which is uh, a lot of fun, Tim. <laughs> Good one. Well, you know, we're appreciative on such a big day that you were able to find this time. And yeah, congratulations on that. Maybe just dive a little bit deeper. So yeah. you mentioned it was a, a COVID creation, but um, where was the inspiration for this evolution um, stemming from? Or was someone else sort of pioneered this sort of evolution in the past? Or was it a, a, a brand new idea for you guys? No, it's not. It's not a brand new idea. And look, I, I want to, you know, I want to be honest about. It. I kind of think where I where I personally tend to sit in the innovation kind of curve, which is I don't have brand new ideas, but I, I constantly scan around the world around me looking for interesting new ideas, and then think about how they might be applied to support the things that I care about, which is in particular helping people take action. You know, helping people make that that step from ideas to action for social change. Uh, using entrepreneurial tools, you know, and ultimately the goal of Start Some Good is to increase the pace of innovation. Um, and so we really focused on the, the project crowdfunding at first because that's really the gap, you know, for a lot of, and it's, you know, it's why the program that you guys are running is so important as well, things that help fill this gap, the kind of risk-tolerant funding that is willing to invest in interesting new ideas. That's the role that angel investors play in the kind of commercial startup world, but it's been a traditional gap in the social impact world we, we kind of have a world that's all VCs and no angels, you know, people, like good people trying to do the best with the resources that they have, but responsible for someone else's money, whether they're a foundation or, you know, a corporate foundation or, or an NGO or a, or a government. Um, and so being as, you know, being as kind of sensible as they can, making, you know, doing the, the, doing the most good they can do, but not wanting to take any risks, trying to bat the highest kind of successful batting average possible. Um, and that's fine for things that are relatively mature and, and have proven solutions, but it's, of course, not how innovation happens. Innovation requires a certain leap of faith. It requires running experiments. Experiments cost money. And that's essentially the role that angel investors play, but we haven't had that kind of category of investors in the social sector. Um, and so, so this is a really roundabout way to get to, <laughs> to get to answer your question. So part of what inspired me when I started Start Some Good almost exactly 10 years ago um, incredibly, while living in San Francisco, was the impact, you know, kind of in San Francisco, I began to understand what a kind of pro-innovation 
innovation ecosystem looks like and the really important catalytic role of risk-tolerant capital. And that clarified a lot of my own experiences, having founded several not-for-profits before and tried to raise money for all sorts of, I thought, very cool projects that maybe people hadn't done before um, and therefore didn't have a lot of evidence. And so I looked around at who was doing a good job of supporting the new and I thought Kickstarter were solving a very similar problem in the creative industries, which is how do you get around those traditional gatekeepers? In the creative industries, that was record label executives, you know, film studios and the like. Um, in the social sector, that was foundations and government and kind of high net worths and so on. And we thought, ah, what if we applied that same solution, essentially allowing people to go around the gatekeepers, create communities directly with people who are most excited by or, you know, passionate about or interested in the work that they're doing? Um, you know, wouldn't that be cool? And, and that's what we've been doing for nine years. But I guess the new inspiration that we have, and look, several years ago, we started really thinking about this and monitoring this was more your Patreon model, if you're familiar with that. Mm. So that's building a dedicated community of supporters and different types of project projects suit different types of approaches to crowdfunding. You know, if you want to, you know, raise a, a chunk of money to finish a feature film, then Kickstarter is where you would go for that traditionally. If it's a documentary around a social issue, you should use Start Some Good. But you know what I mean. Um, you'd use that, I need a specific amount of money. You know, if I don't get that, I'm not going to be able to do it. All or nothing. Let's do this kind of campaign. But if, in, if instead you want to launch a kind of weekly series of broadcasts that review, that share the stories of social entrepreneurs, which for, by the way, is what digital storytellers are, are uh, raising funds for on our site as of today for their Enterprising Stories program, then you don't just want that one chunk of money. You want a community that's really engaged in that program and is supporting over time. Or if you're offering, you know, a, a more of a subscription-oriented business, um, or, you know, if you need the project crowdfunding to raise enough money to buy a food truck and launch a social enterprise food truck, but then you need consistent customers who are going to come every week and buy lunch. And maybe one of the ways you lock in that consistency is through a lunch club as a recurring mechanism. So there's all sorts of ways in which it can be applied. But it, but I guess what it does is orients less around that one-time piece, you know, in, inspiration, goal and transaction and more around that long-term community building in the pursuit of a, you know, long-term impact, which is... Let's face it, how real change happens. And obviously um, that meeting point as well where lots of businesses now are looking at subscription models and, and how to really build that community but also lock them in to be able to model out where your business is going to go because as a startup, I guess that could be yeah. really hard. Yeah, exactly. And look, let's, you know, I mean, we are, you know, it's very meta here because that's also what we're doing, of course, but us introducing this product is us creating a subscription version of our service that is ongoing by helping other people create subscription versions of their service. So, hey, I mean, a lot of oftentimes what we do is kind of sit in a fairly meta space as a kind of social enterprise, trying to grow the social enterprise sector, helping other people launch social enterprises. Let's talk a little bit about your community because, um, you know, you really do stand out from other crowdfunding platforms as being this home of cause-based crowdfunding. So, Tell us a little bit about your community and maybe that can be a great way to talk about some of the projects that you've seen come through Start Some Good over the years. For sure. Well, I mean, I, I would say, first of all, that, that I guess community is maybe not even the right framework for what we've done. And that's the move we're trying to make is, is you know, focusing more ourselves on building these long-term relationships. It's more been around helping people at a particular stage. And so where we're really focused is helping people kind of take that leap of getting it, testing a new idea, getting it out there in public or growing, you know, something that is early stage but working. Um, and so, you know, that's been, you know, that started with crowdfunding. But 
part of our mission more deeply is is that we think that the best way to increase the pace of innovation for social change is to help more people kind of take that step to hear more voices to hear more stories to get more ideas out there to give more people the confidence and the capacity to advocate for their own ideas and begin to build alliances and build projects and enterprises that help deliver on those social change aspirations and the way you do that is not just by creating technology or essentially by building a tool and that's essentially the way most platforms approach it they're like here's a really great set of tools here's the manual you know there'll be a how-to guide which is essentially a manual and you know if you can read that manual and kind of figure out what it means and then apply that to the tool you'll probably do really well um but if you really care about i guess getting more people involved you, you can't just leave it with the people who are ready ready to jump in and take advantage of those tools and so i guess one of our really core principles right from the start of start some good was was trying to kind of give was essentially trying to you know lower the barriers of entry for social change by helping give more people that opportunity which meant working kind of unusually hard to build capacity offering coaching you know kind of really high touch support and kind of everything we've done since then has kind of evolved from from there you know the fact that now nine years later we're running full accelerator programs i mean it's been kind of this incremental set of steps on the way but it's because you know that may seem like a real leap for a crowdfunding platform it, it, i guess it would be if that was you know deep in your your culture but in some ways uh, you know right from the start I used to say we're an education company masquerading as a platform you know it's not really about you know yeah you, like kind of the way we approached that was to build our own tools and to build our own crowdfunding platform but right from the start we were about helping people you know, kind of helping people teach people to crowdfund not just letting them try um, and we've worked really hard on that but the truth is that also kind of breaks the core principle of a platform business which is that you need to do it at high scale low touch you know, you essentially want to operationalize that platform to the point that the incremental cost of gaining a new whatever it is, a new house on Airbnb, a new driver on Uber, is zero. And then kind of essentially any any little margin on transactions becomes highly profitable at scale. Um, and we just kind of like, that's just not who we are and it's not what we wanted to do. But I, I didn't know enough about business. I was, you know, terribly unsophisticated when it came to, you know, starting, like, thinking about, like, designing a business model I, i'd founded several not-for-profits before with a business model of i'm going to like pitch my ideas to people and convince them to fund them that had evolved into social enterprises over time without really even realizing it because sometimes things were hard to talk people into funding and you had to find other ways to fund it and sometimes the best way to do that was to figure out who really valued it and charge them directly um and so and so that's you know that's what we continue to try and do and that's led us to kind of over time do ever slightly more slightly more slightly more um until today as you were saying in the intro when i first joined you know we're running accelerator programs like like seafood for good that try and you know really really kind of deeply invest in a small handful of, of projects in some ways the opposite of the traditional platform model but it doesn't feel like such a leap for us it's kind of been a, a slow logical progression of we want to do more we want to do more um but in some ways the recurring giving is, is trying to rebalance again um, so that we can invest in people's capacity, but actually see the benefit of that increased capacity, you know, over the long term, not just that, not, not just through a single campaign. You've just identified, just identified how many little iterations many little iteration. there have been to your business model over this 10-year journey. With this new feature now, do you sort of start to think, I, all right, I think we've addressed everything now, we should be right, or do you just always expect there's going to be another iteration and the business is designed to constantly evolve? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think at our heart, we're essentially an innovation agency. 
And we're just kind of a bit of a hybrid blend of delivering projects on behalf of partners in a you know agency style, you know, such as designing and delivering the CP for good challenge, and essentially kind of pursuing some of our own ideas through technology, building platforms and providing programs directly. So we kind of we've ended up in this kind of interesting hybrid space. And some days I have to say it feels brilliant, this kind of mix of platform and product and service and B2C and B2B, you know, like working directly with aspiring entrepreneurs and then running programs on behalf of companies that engage aspiring entrepreneurs and so on. On, on good days, that all feels a little bit genius that it's all woven together and, and so on. And other days it feels completely mad because those are all very different businesses. Um, and, and some days it feels like it's actually six startups just all happen to be called Stats and Good um, in, way, shape, in some way, shape or form. So, but I think that is the nature of the game. If, if your mission is to increase the pace of innovation for social change, I, I think Kind of by definition, there's never going to be one perfect solution to that for all time. There's going to be kind of different practices. And even if it's just different iterations of the same approach, you know, two years ago, I never could have imagined we'd be running an accelerator specifically for seafood, you know, sustainable seafood startups that fill the trawler to table gap. I'd be like, like, what do I know about seafood and seafood startups? Um, but I guess that's an example of how you could kind of, as you develop some of these practices, tools and processes, you can apply them in a variety of different ways. Um, and there's certainly no shortage of kind of uh, of places where I guess application and attention is needed. Um, and so, you know, the, the end result, I guess, is that we tend to say yes to things if it helps achieve that that North Star mission, if it helps engage community change makers and emerging social entrepreneurs so that we can increase the pace of innovation for social change. Our tendency is to say yes, but to, to you know, almost anything that kind of lines up with that core mission. And is with a partner that we want to work with. Um, and, you know, I know that's kind of violates in some ways the core piece of advice you often get and, and we often give in a startup accelerator, which is, you know, be really focused and like don't try and do too many things at once and keep it simple. Exactly. I mean, I give this advice. This is good advice for anyone listening. Like, I, I totally believe in that advice. I just have trouble actually sticking to that myself. And I think that, but I think that is in, in the nature of what we're trying to do to some extent. How does it sort of make you feel, I suppose, and we can go a little bit further back into your origin story maybe as a result of this, but, you know, you take it upon yourself in such a big way here to establish and support this critical ecosystem and structures to drive this social and environmental change. How does it make you feel that that's not being picked up and done by other entities where it, it should be, that you've had to go and yeah, yeah. strive so hard for, to create this? <laughs> I know you have an opinion about That's this. Really, How long have I got? <laughs> I mean, that is a really good question, I guess. Sometimes, you know, and again, it's kind of a, you know, a mixed blessing. Sometimes it means that there's these amazing opportunities that I can't believe, you know, from my point of view, right, are still to be realized. And, you know, while I'm figuring out how best to, you know, how best to kind of realize that opportunity, on some level, I'm grateful that someone else hasn't come in and just done a heaps better job more quickly or whatever. Um, other days it is, you know, I do feel like it's, there's, there's just so much to do and, and yeah, again in that tendency to say yes to things and to want to see more things happen um you know we end up i guess trying to do too many part, too many roles simultaneously trying to build out too many different parts of of, of the ecosystem mm. simultaneously so i don't know i have mixed feelings about it i mean i think in general there's some kind of some of this stuff's hard because it's hard you know like investing in innovation is hard and and i think in many ways it, it's actually easy when it's commercial because commerciality all comes down to a very simple set of equations. So an angel investor 
can just figure out whether it's working or not based on a very simple formula on some level. And that's, you know, we, and that's where you, you get that acceptance of risk because you can calculate it very easily. And so that's that classic kind of angel investor trope where you want to invest in, you know, a big portfolio, um, which is a good insight from angel investors that no one's smart enough to like do two angel investments a year and expect to like hit winners. No one, no one bats that high. And so I think one of the great, you know, one of my great, le- I guess, learnings being in San Francisco for a couple of years and kind of observing and, and dipping in the sector of working in Silicon Valley for an innovation agency, um, what was kind of how refreshing that level of risk tolerance was that they go into it expecting 95% or so of their investments to fail, therefore realizing they have to kind of, they have to be involved in a bunch of experiments. And then the goal is, of course, you know, maybe, you know, 95 out of 100 fail for more or less break even, and then you're hoping for one Facebook or Dropbox or Uber or whatever, and it, it's provided it does 100x. That's the portfolio paid for, you know? And so, like, th- that's simple because everything comes down to the same set of metrics in the end, which is, you know, money, profit, loss, and so on. Whereas, of course, it's very, very difficult um, for a foundation to kind of invest in 100 very, very early-stage social change projects and then a few years later, kind of 95% of them don't really deliver discernible change, don't really work in the way you want them. Four of them seem like, okay, but kind of, you know, a bit average at this point. But one of them seems like kind of a profound breakthrough in the delivery of some particular, you know, social service or, or justice or, you know, a breakthrough in a particular social dy- dynamic. Does that pay for the portfolio? It's like kind of, you know, borderline impossible to, to, to cross-reference. And that's why so much of it does come down to courage. And I do think we're at a like interesting, interesting point kind of in the evolution of social enterprise where there's so much enthusiasm, but so much of that enthusiasm is coming from people who speak and think in traditional finance ways. And that, and I and I and I think we're at this kind of interesting point where what is social enterprise to mean and what is it to represent? Is it going to be the application of more business concepts and business ways of thinking on the work of social change or the application of more social ways of thinking and community ways of working on the business of running businesses. And I, and I, you know, and I, I hope it's the, the latter. And, but a lot of that does come down to, you know, do we have the courage of our convictions? You know, and because you see that, you know, all over the place, you just have to believe that something is worth doing. And when it comes to, you know, as a society, if we approach, I don't know, if we approached, I don't know, solving cancer, the way we, we approach so many other social issues, you know, we would have cancelled that effort years ago because it doesn't seem to be providing an ROI. Um, but we don't because we don't have, we have a commitment to solving cancer as a society. That's just something we're going to keep plugging away at. It'll cost what it costs. We want it to go further. You know, we want it, we want to move faster. So there's a relentless need for more money in the hope that we can speed up. But it's not a case that if we don't crack it in the next couple of years, it's all over, guys. We're going to turn our attention to something else. We're just going to keep going till we solve it. And I just wish we had that same level of commitment to, you know, avoiding a cataclysmic climate crisis, solving homelessness reimagining our democracy, you know, like these other things, these other challenges that are genuinely tearing us apart, um, but for which we're constantly, I feel like, nickel and diming the sector. And, and one of the places in which we kind of often lack that courage, and look, there are lots of, you know, there are lots of counterexamples, I want to be clear, you know, you can pick out, there are heaps of great, courageous people doing important work. It just doesn't add up to enough yet. It's just, it's just still very unbalanced in terms of everyone wants to pay for things that are already proven to work. And very few people want to take the risk on trying to figure out if something can work. And ultimately, that's what I love about San Francisco, I have to say, and something that I've tried to embrace going forward, is just this simple change in language, in a way. And I feel like in the startup world, the kind of question that everyone asks is, well, actually, let me start in the other way. In, in, in In the social change world and funding world, 
the question that tends to be asked is, will it work? But in the startup world, the question that tends to be asked is, can it work? Mm. And that is, will it work is a question that closes things down. It's skeptical. It asks you to prove it. It assumes that most things are not going to work and asks you to, you know, kind of get me over the line that this is going to be one of the things that will work. And you, see it, you see it in so many of the kind of ways in which we approach funding and so on. It essentially says, you know, prove to me it will work. Tell me exactly how it will work. Like all these like, future details. Whereas in the, you know, startup world, um, it's more, can it work? And it probably won't. But if it did, what, would, what could that mean? And that is a generative question. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a kind of an open-ended question. That's a let's give something a try question. And I guess that's what we, you know, if I was going to go, go more deeply, that's kind of what we try and advocate for is we have to try stuff. The only way it's like any type of, you know, experimental endeavor, you can't fund things that are already proven to work and expect to make progress. You have to fund the process of figuring out what can work. And we need a lot more of that when it comes to, you know, myriad different social challenges, including, you know, life in the water. And that's, you know, why, why the, the pitch fest is so cool and why we need lots of these sorts of things. Some of them very focused, some of them more, more broadly based, some of them at an idea stage, some of them at a, a growth stage. There's bright spots kind of all over the place, but we need more everywhere, I think, at every stage. So you speak a lot then about this impact of living and working in the States and in San Fran and experiencing Silicon Valley and this beautiful attitude towards innovation and obviously inspired by the angel investment community are you seeing glimpses then where that can start to open up opportunities in social and environmental impact can the upside of those five out of a hundred that might succeed be met with these what have been otherwise intangibles around impact bit social or environmental is is there momentum building that can start to, they can almost, you know, challenge each other, the upside of impact versus the upside of economic return? Yes, there is momentum building, but we all have to hope that, that it is kind of building on a logarithmic rather than linear scale. You know, if it only continues to kind of grow at the same pace as it has grown over the last 10 years, that won't be enough. You know, so it's possible to get excited year by year by the by the signs of continuing progress, and they are everywhere, and I am very excited about them. Um, but, you know, anyone who's aware of what's going on environmentally knows that we don't have all the time in the world to just tinker away and, and make slow progress. Uh, and sadly, I do feel that, that we are still a little bit in a tinkering away phase when it comes to impact investment in some of these areas. Um, again, there's a lot happening, but there's big gaps that prevent it from perhaps meaning as much as it could. Again, too much money at the, la at the at, by far at the latter stage um, and too little money at the early stage. And so the money at the latter stage spends a lot of its time complaining about lack of deal flow, but with but, but, but still but being unwilling to invest in the kinds of things that increase deal flow, which is, again, helping more things at that earlier stage. Um, and so that's why, you know, I said to someone recently, actually, I was chatting to, you know, a big, a big corporate and they were kind of floating, you know, we're thinking about how to do more. And, you know, one of the ideas that has come up is, a big impact investment fund, you know, maybe a hundred million dollar fund. Um, and I said, the last thing we need is another hundred million dollar fund. What we really need is a courageous five million dollar fund. The logic of big funds is that they can only do big deals, you know, because like you can't, you're never, you're never going to invest. You know, you get this funny logic where people go, you're never going to invest a hundred million dollars in increments of fifty to a hundred thousand. And so instead, they just never invest it because they can't find enough deals that are worthy of two to five million. Mm. You know, so you end up in the same play, like, never investing in it. But, uh, like, well, you, you could actually just start plugging, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You just, you know, start doing deals, guys. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, 
So I forget, sorry, it's five o'clock and it's been a big day and a big week. And I feel like I'm rambling and losing track of the original question some of the time. What are we, What was I meant to be answering at this moment? We were just talking about... Oh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon yeah. Valley, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the role that played. Yeah, I mean, definitely was, you know, just seeing people who just had this completely different approach, I think, risk and reward and, and so on, I think was really refreshing. I mean, America's a bit of a mad place, you know, it's certainly not all, not all up. I'm not a fantasist about what's going on there. Um, either, um, in some ways, kind of a scary picture of if you kind of keep playing out some of these trends, um, where you can end up to, which is, and what you can end up with, which is a society kind of incapable of talking to itself. Um, I do think I keep, in some ways, I feel kind of increasingly validated by a contention I had when I was kind of 18, which is that, which is that you kind of have to fix democracy in order to fix anything else. Mm. I feel like we're seeing that continue to play out. Like we can't make progress on so many of these other challenges because we no longer kind of have a have the capacity as a society to talk to each other and to make big decisions. And it goes, so we, we spend all our time arguing over the the details. Yeah, what happened yesterday? Who said what? Um, anyway, I'm definitely off track now. But yeah, I was inspired by that. Um, and it also, but it made sense to me, I guess, with some of what I'd experienced later as well. It kind of helped me, I think, think in more systemic senses that innovation is not just an innovator innovating away it's an ecosystem and it requires numerous different players you know but there and that risk is one of the key things you know in any innovation ecosystem actually think risk is one of the key things you have to think about because risk and innovation are you know two halves of the one coin um, and so one of the things i'm fond of you know saying about silicon valley is you know i think from afar people can have this kind of slightly mythic idea of silicon valley that it's just full of like really smart people doing really clever things and changing the world um, and I want to say, actually, Silicon Valley is like the world's largest concentration of bad ideas. Like, there's just so many people like working really hard on like fundamentally like really suspect ideas. Um, some of them, even if they worked, um, and some of them, and many, most of them, you know, wildly unlikely to work. But but I think what you realize in kind of playing that ecosystem for a while is that it's many of those ones that felt most unlikely to work that when they do work make the biggest impacts. You know, the things that people are most skeptical about. Um, and so that's where you have to, and the only way you kind of even begin to contemplate them is by asking that what if it worked question, mm. not the will it work, because will it work almost always gets you back to, yeah, probably not. Like it's, if it's trying to, you know, make a fundamental change to the way in which we like book accommodation or move around the city or, you know, deliver healthcare or education or whatever, yeah, you know, it probably won't work. Most of those sorts of ideas don't work. The system, systems are intractable, change is hard. Um, it's unlikely to work. But if you kind of accept that logic, you never change anything. And so, you know, you, you, if you can switch it around and say, what if it worked? You start to go, well, I mean, if it did work, that would, that would kind of, that would mean that things were actually different in this fundamental way. And I think part of maybe what primed me to, to think about that a lot was I'd spent the previous two years working for an organization called Ashoka. Mm -hmm. And Ashoka is very systems focused. Ashoka actually coined the phrase social entrepreneurship wow. about 45 years ago. The founder of Ashoka, Bill Drayton. Um, and again, it's one of those things where it's not to say that like Ashoka invented social entrepreneurship. They were describing something that was already going on, which is, you know, people using kind of a more entrepreneurial approach, thinking in terms of scale and replicability and systems change, um, to the pursuit of social change, um, and, and describing that for the first time and therefore becoming the first organization to be able to kind of organize around that definition and, and bring these people together. And, and one of Bill's, you know, one of the quotes from Bill that I've always, always loved, um, as he said, uh, uh, the goal of a social entrepreneur is not to give someone a fish, but nor is it to teach them to fish. Their goal is to transform the fishing industry. Hmm. 
I think that really speaks to, I think as a, as a kind of social sector, we've been good at funding the teach them to fish mm. projects. Here's how to survive in the status quo, essentially, you know, like teaching someone to fish doesn't actually like, like deal with the, the challenge of are there enough fish there? Who else has the right to fish that place is like knowing how to, like uh, what kind of pollutants are, are flow, as you know, like, you know, it's fisheries, highly interconnected, complicated systems. And simply teaching people to fish is at most only kind of like a 1.0 approach to say, I mean, giving someone a fish might, indeed, might be thought of as 1.0, like mm -hmm. obviously avoid, keep people alive, avoid starvation, traditional welfare, like that's just, you know, you've got to have that safety net. I'm a big believer in that as well. 2.0 might be the teach someone a fish. Okay, now they're building some skills and they can kind of navigate this world as it is and do better, you know, get a job, uh, you know, complete their education and so on. And that's, there's a lot of important, this is not to disparage, there's hugely important work at, this, at, at that stage. But I think innovation work is that, transform the fishing industry who gets to fish where who controls that what you know how, how does that connect with other kind of ecosystem management practices and so on and so i think that really primed me to kind of begin to think i guess just that those whole those whole those whole four years in the u.s um two years at ashoka in dc and two years working with a, a kind of innovation for good lab in, in silicon valley and so on, i think really switched my thinking up a level to kind of more more systems and not just kind of individual experiences and how and you know, how you get people involved, you know, more more infrastructure systems uh, and what's required. And that's obviously informed a lot of what we do. And it's kind of why in some ways, even though the other part, probably the agency part of our business is the more sustainable and successful, but I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of, I guess, very personally committed to and fond of our, our, our platforms, mm. our, our infrastructure. And it's why today is such a nice milestone to kind of, sometimes we don't get to invest in them as much as we'd like to because we spend a lot of time doing the work that we're paid to do, which mm -hmm. is, you know, deliver cool programs that make a difference. But it's really nice to, have, I guess, COVID slowed down a lot of that and that was challenging for our business, but it actually created the time and space for us to knuckle down and build and launch this thing that we'd had on our radar for some time, um, but felt like was particularly germane to this moment. So it's a really nice milestone to take that big step up on, our, on the platform side. When you look back and reflect on the, what, over 1,100 successful projects um, that have come through the platform, does some stand out that you really look and go, wow, it was, you know, maybe it was your coaching, maybe it was the team support, it was a successful campaign, but are there some that stand out and just go, wow, that really does make me feel proud of, of what I've built here? I mean, it's a little bit about asking, like, which of your children are you most proud of? <laughs> which of your children did you do the best job of raising? Um, no, I'm proud of all of them, genuinely, but there's lots of, you know, really cool stories. I mean, I think the thing that I'm most proud of is when you can see that it's helping overcome a gap. Mm. around those early stages and it's you can see that it's helping kind of i guess catalyze an idea that was that that was there but was dormant and, and that, that that maybe the communities or individuals had struggled had struggled or would have struggled otherwise to, to progress in the way they wanted to so you know we do there's a range of those from the kind of community from i guess the more kind of traditional not-for-profit through to the the social enterprise i, I guess one of the not-for-profit ones that really sticks out in my mind is the girl academy which was uh school created by the Cape York Indigenous community, specifically to support uh, Indigenous teenage mothers to finish their schooling in a culturally appropriate way. Mm. Um, and it's one of those things where it was a locally generated solution, you know, and they, they knew what they needed, um, but they didn't have the resources at hand in their community to implement that. And they'd written grant applications and been, and been unsuccessful and knocked back and, and had realised that there was potentially another way in which they could approach that and find those initial resources to build that for themselves. And I think that's, you know, that's exactly what we were imagining when we started with crowdfunding is that it's a tool for democratization, which is to say it's a, it's a way for people to get more involved in creating the future that they want, you know, because democracy for me is not just voting, it's, it's doing, it's, it's, it's how you, it's, it's how you, it's how you participate 
more broadly and creating a creating a better future. And so I love that. Um, on the social enterprise side, heaps of cool social enterprises. Um, one of the ones I'm really proud of is um, Ability Made, called Ability Made when they first launched with us. They're a cutting edge uh, kind of uh, kind of kind of scanning technology meets computer aided design meets three D printing ability to increase to reduce the time and costs of child orthotics mm-hmm. um, by about tenfold, like a genuine order of magnitude leap forward. Um, in these, in how, in, in how this happens, you know, a genuine breakthrough, but, you know, exactly as we discussed, the kind of thing that is often quite challenging. They came through our Dream Starter pro- program, which is with ING, where they put up half the, the needed funds for a social, a given social enterprise, and they need to go and raise the other half from the community, exactly like the Seafood for Good accelerator we're running at the moment. And so I love that as an example of they were able to, you know, they kind of got that buy in from ING, came through the program, successfully matched the funds with community co investment then was able to use that as a demonstration of the of the level of interest in their product to get um, an additional kind of impact investment grant, which allowed them to complete trials, gain their evidence, and since then they've raised a much larger, uh, again, impact fund because now they've got all the evidence they needed. So you can see that in a way as that increasing steps of credibility and evidence, that it's a great idea and they needed to convince someone and they got ING on board because the whole program is set up to support great new ideas they use they then use that endorsement from ing and the access that gave them to ing's customers and the coaching they mm-hmm. got from us and the support and the amplification and the peer-to-peer stuff that comes through crowdfunding to say look at how much interest there is in this and that then gave them additional credibility ing's endorsement gave them credibility with the wider community co-invest that 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 then co-investment from the community gave them greater community to get that more angel investment summer funds that allowed them to to do you know, clinical trials, that then was the next level of evidence and data required to get that next investor on board. And that's kind of what it needs to look like, mm. is that as you kind of, you, you know, kind of fundraising is not this thing that kind of sits out. And this is kind of, I think, what a lot of people don't realize. Fundraising is not this thing that sits outside of, I guess, that pathway of increased credibility. It's not just that you become more credible and then raise funds. Mm. It's often the other way around, that you raise funds and that makes you more credible. And so you're seeing that like each amount of each funds raised helped helped confer the credibility or express or communicate the credibility. Sometimes that credibility is actually in social capital, hmm. but it kind of gets expressed. The data is the crowdfunding campaign, the ability to talk to 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 articulate what is otherwise an abstract concept, which is people are really excited about this and they want to see it happen so much so that they're willing to invest in it. And then there's lots of others. I mean, I definitely want to take the moment, obviously, given the relevance, to make sure we do shout out my two favorites at the moment. Um, the Seafood for Good campaigns, you know, who have had the wonderful opportunity to work with over several months now, gotten to know really well the two campaigns, the, the two the two startups that have, that have kind of been selected out of that to test their product propositions, uh, Farmer Meets Foodie, testing a transparent trawler-to-table delivery service in North Queensland initially, and Seaweedery, who are a circular economy uh, kind of oils and sources maker, who are using Austral Fisheries waste products from the, their prawn catch to make super delicious uh, prawn oil, which I hear from my foodie friends will elevate any salad. <laughs> I've, already um, put, so both, I've already put They're both my, on, the, on the platform at the moment. Yeah, yeah I've already put my order in <laughs> and um, had a chat. Actually, Me too. I'm really excited. Had a chat with um, Elkie. No, so not from Elkie, with Natalie from uh, Seaweedery who whose conversation will be accompanying this when it goes out to become one of our Ocean Impact podcasts. But, yes, that's a really good example of where you've been able to partner 
with a company, in this case, Austral Fisheries, uh, to really fill a big gap. So tell us a little bit more about that particular process. Um, doesn't sound like you've ever done anything quite like this before with a seafood company. Um, give us a bit of a glimpse into the, the timeline and what you learned from doing this great innovation project with Austral. Yeah, first time, like long time eater, first time seafood startup um, supporter. Um, so yeah, it came back through an introduction a couple of years ago with David, the, the CEO of Austral Fisheries, who, who, as you know, is like a really purposeful driven guy. Um, and it's not the kind of thing I ever would have imagined right from the start that, you know, I, I never, like, let's face it, I, I never would have reached out to Austral Fisheries and said, hey guys, we should, you know, we, we should, you and us, we should, we should partner. Uh, we're going to do some great things together. Um, but I guess someone who knew us both thought that, thought that we should have a conversation and we got together and, and I quickly realized why, you know, cause he, cause he's, you know, has got this genuine, um, purpose around building a more sustainable seafood, um, company and, and, and market, um, industry and a real, a, a real tolerance himself for innovation or, 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 you know, enthusiasm around innovation. Also have done all sorts of cutting edge stuff around blockchain and transparency and have just, have just launched this, you know, really cutting edge hybrid boat and all sorts of stuff. Um, and so we got talking about, but he got talking about that the gap remained, you know, that they'd made all these investments at the production side, but it wasn't really, um, they weren't really, in David's phrase, uh, realizing the value of their values. They'd made a lot of investments in being able to articulate their values and live their values, becoming carbon neutral, being able to like really have high transparency around their catch and partnering with, you know, some unlikely partners like Sea Shepherd um, around that, that, that very genuine intention of building, you know, they're both invested in sustainable seafood marine ecosystems. Um, uh, but then there's this gap that it's not quite landing with the community yet. It's been disintermediated in many ways by, you know, the seafood's kind of just going into the general seafood supply and not actually being clearly marked or identified as sustainable catch versus unsustainable catch. So consumers, you know, it, it's challenging. It's one of those kind of very nascent, I guess, impact industries in a way. Um, because, you know, unlike say coffee or some that are more, you know, like free range versus caged eggs, some, 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 Produce sectors have, have gone a lot further, obviously, in clearly labeling the ethics of the manufacturing and helping consumers orient towards the stuff that is better for the environment. Um, seafood has a long way to go, but an urgent need. You know, you get those guides, you know, that are, you have to kind of figure it all out yourself. You know, I used to carry around this like Greenpeace guide to sustainable seafood, and it's like a lot to do. You know, you go into the seafood thing and you get out your guide, and like you're trying to like line up <laughs> different types of, and like seafood, like often you get some fish might go by multiple names and, um, that's a lot. And so, you know, the goal was to try and find startups that could kind of stimulate and overcome that, you know, that, that could really celebrate sustainable seafood, make it a primary part of their story and their pitch and attract and grow the number of consumers who would consciously consume and potentially pay a small premium, you know, for, for that guarantee of sustainability and ethics and so on. Um, and so over, you know, over, over a certain period of time, uh, we worked through the details of that and it, and it took a while, as these things often do. Um, but we were confident. I mean, it didn't seem so crazy. You know, we'd, we'd run programs like this. This was just more specific than anything we'd done before. We've been doing the, the Dream Starter program for ING for seven years. Um, and that was for B2C social enterprise startups. So it was much broader. You know, we'd have fashion and food and experience and a lot of health and body products and some homewares and all sorts of stuff. Um, we thought, well, this is similar. It's just super specific. You know, it's still B2C startups, you know, that need to know how to talk to a consumer about values and value and, you know, individual value proposition, value proposition for the planet and wider society. We thought, yeah, yeah, we think this is, you know, we think we do, you know, we think everything we teach applies, 
Um, we just have to hope we get enough of the right ideas at the start. And I guess that was my, my, my piece of greatest concern was it's such a specific niche. Are we going to be able to kind of find sort of earth and, and stimulate that niche? But actually, we got heaps of ideas, not all of which were the right fit for the program. Quite a lot that were kind of maybe playing at more that infrastructure layer, more, more B2B. Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, providing transparency products and support for companies to be more sustainable, which is, which is cool stuff, but not quite what we're looking for. But we ultimately had five really, really great ideas and, and companies or proposed companies, proposed products into the program. Se several of them were value-added processes, uh, like turning into jerky or oils, um, some of which were or, or dog or premium um, cat food um, and things like that. Others were, you know, more at that delivery uh, stage with a focus on different markets or, or different ways of, of building that consumer relationship. And then the, the, the top two that, or the top two that were, you know, wanting to go forward and ready to go forward were the two that are on the side at the moment. And so Austral has committed to helping fund and, and work with them. But now, kind of as we've heard about before, they have to get out there and prove that people actually want what they're offering. You know, it doesn't make sense for, uh, for, for Austral to invest in, in, in a thing people don't want. And so this is kind of how we approach getting people to, to I guess, get more risk tolerant is in part, it's, it's trying to, you know, inspire people to just simply be slightly more risk tolerant, you know, more optimistic, more, more visionary in the pursuit of real change. But partly it's about constructing processes that de-risk ideas. And crowdfunding is a really big one of those that you can, you can still kind of, you can make your judgment call at that early stage. You can be courageous and your courage can signal to the wider community. But then by making it conditional on that wider community reacting to that and that entrepreneur showing that they have the personal wherewithal and commitment and ability to get out there and stimulate their market and, and, and win that trust and support. Um, if they can do that, it obviously feels a lot less risky for you. So we kind of play with in some ways the sequencing that the, like someone like Austral is able to make that, you know, to take that, that leap of faith first. But then kind of there's a real world test. You know, we run it through that test and not every, you know, we have a very high success rate for these kind of programs, but not everyone succeeds. And that's, that's a feature, not a bug. It's meant to be a real world test. And in a real world test, it's like success is not guaranteed. Um, and, and our partners often say that that's, you know, something they appreciate. Obviously, success is more fun than failure, but, but if someone's, for whatever reason, not ready, that their idea is not quite right, you know, they, they have to go back to the drawing board and review. It's, it's a good way to, to find out. And it, and it kind of saves everyone from going too far down the wrong track without getting that, you know, without checking in with the community or, or their customer base and making like, am I, am I on the right track? Do you really want this? Um, Good on so you. That's, that's right where they're at. That's right where they're at right now. You know, and so it's a, it's a really exciting moment for them and, and obviously for us. And, and we very much would love to see them. And the while I just talked up that from a kind of, I guess, process design point of view, some of the failure is acceptable and okay. Uh, obviously for the individuals, they're working incredibly hard and, and, you know, we would love to see these two succeed. I think they've both got great ideas for things that are much needed in the marketplace. Love circular economy startups in general, they just love the, the, the concept that you can take what other people were thinking of as a waste product and turn it into something that is actually like a, a source of value and nutrition and, and, and you know, and flavor. In this case, um, delicious. And, the, and, then, <laughs> and deliciousness, exactly, exactly. So I'm excited about that. And then, and then that kind of toilet to table relationship, helping, helping reimagine, I guess, the relationship with producers to make it more intimate again, but kind of efficient and at scale um, and testing that concept in, in Northern Queensland. So if anyone's in Northern Queensland, you definitely need to check out the Farmer Meets Foodie campaign. If you're not in Northern Queensland, you can still support them and get some cool rewards, just not actually the seafood delivery. Good on you. It's a great model and um, we're obviously thrilled to be associated with it because anything which shines a light on how we can do seafood better uh, is definitely in mm -hmm. the OIO wheelhouse. So we will be having a conversation um, 
when this podcast comes out with the guys from Seaweedery. You can get online and support the campaign up until the 30th of September. Help the guys and shine your own light on what you want to see happening to Planet Ocean. Uh, we might wrap things up very soon, Tom, but I thought I might give it over to you for any sort of final words. We're obviously in the midst of 2020. It's crazy times, but I wondered if you wouldn't mind closing our chat with anything that you wanted to talk about today but haven't had a chance to, to discuss as yet. Yeah. Hmm, on the spot. I mean, I, I would just say to people that I think, you know, 2020 has obviously been a, an incredible shock to the system for all of us. Um, and I think that to kind of, you know, go through this, it is really important that we connect with one another and work together, but that we don't lose our focus on not just surviving, you know, and not just retaining what is, but continuing to think about what needs to be. And, and it's already become, I think, almost a slight cliche. Joe, Joe Biden's now using it as a slogan in his campaign, but, it, you know, it resonates with me and it's really true. But we need to build back better. And building back better means innovating, you know, not just replacing what was. That doesn't require innovation. It means rethinking, you know, did we have this right in the first place? The answer is clearly no. Um, and so I think there is a real opportunity here as well, you know, and it's, it's a challenge right now. Um, but I'm very optimistic that if we can get through 2020, you know, kind of obviously we need to get on top of the, the, the current health crisis, which in some ways is that almost like teach people, you know, give someone a fish. We need to just kind of like, you know, give people some safety and security in relation to the actual health challenges of the virus with the vaccine and so on and obviously the best that we can do prior to then but then we really need to start rethinking the fishing industry or, or some of these wider challenges mm. um and i think the more that people can you know I, I really encourage everyone to not to kind of put your ideas on the shelf i know it can seem like a scary crazy time to be launching something new but often some of the most amazing things emerge from these moments of crisis in part because it shakes things up as a as a startup entrepreneur in many ways your job is to shake things up your job is to disrupt the status quo um and so Part of the silver lining of COVID is that things are shaken up, you know, like we don't have to kind of, you don't have to work to, to kind of shake up people's thinking to, to get people wondering if there's a better way. That's, that's all happening. You know, we're, we're all shook up. Um, and, and, and that's an opportunity. You know, if you're someone who's wants things to be different and is invested, you know, if you have an idea or uh, you're, you're, you're a social entrepreneur or aspiring to be so, it's actually a really powerful moment to start working on sharing, refining that idea. It may not be the right moment exactly to launch it, I'm not sure, but it's definitely not the right moment to put it on the shelf either. Um, so start connecting with people, start sharing that. Um, if I could give just a little shout out, you know, this is part of why we launched the Starting Good Network, um, because we've been so focused on helping people at specific moments. You know, you need to, you, you need to, you want to launch something or, or you need to fill a funding gap or, or invest in, in an asset, you know, crowdfund for 30 days and let's let's sort that out you you want to invest in designing uh, a launch or, or growth ready social enterprise you could join our 10 weeks good hustle social enterprise design course and we'll over 10 weeks sort that out and then we'll try and get you um you are trying to launch a a sustainable seafood business join our seafood for good challenge for some period of time but always you know these particular moments and there'll be kind of people would exit out of our programs um and it's got us thinking a lot about you know the importance of, of, of staying connected, of being part of community, of finding a tribe, of continuing to stay hopeful, of, of continuing to stay focused on the future that we all want at this time and how we could do a better job of supporting our community through through these changes. And so we've launched the Starting Good Network. It's a really low cost, $15 a month. Um, you know, we've kept it as, as modest and affordable as possible as a simple way that people can connect with each other, be part of an exclusive community of people who have similar values and are on a similar journey gain access to multiple exclusive events and Q&As with established and successful social entrepreneurs, uh, guided meditation sessions, masterminds with me and, uh, and, and others. Um, and so that's at startsandgood.com slash starting hyphen good. 
Um, and it's just one of several, you know, 10 already great recurring giving campaigns. So we're just, you know, if anyone, if, if any of the stuff that we're creating and offering is uh, relevant for any of the people listening, of course, we'd, we'd be delighted and honored to help you in any way. Thank you so much for your time, Tom, and all that you do for the betterment of planet ocean and its inhabitants. And you go and celebrate after a wonderful day in the life of Start Some Good. Thanks so much, Tim. It's been really fun to hang out with you. Talk to you soon. That's it. Cheers. So very pleased to be having a conversation now with Natalie Kalanova, who is one of the co-founders of Seaweedery. Um, tell us a little bit, Natalie, about the solution that you've come up with with Seaweedery. So you know how when you buy the frozen prawns at the supermarket, uh, they don't really have a shells mm -hmm. on it. And uh, have you ever wondered what happened to them? Good well, question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, they usually go straight to the landfill, and um, unfortunately, it makes whooping fifty percent of uh, the most of the seafood we are consuming because we usually eat only part of that, and the best nutritional elements are waste through the processing. So what we decided to do, um, we decided to replicate the way the chefs walk in the kitchen with nothing and um, uh, make beautiful um, prawn oil from the discarded prawn shells. It's a great flavor enhancer to any dish. Love it. So here we are, you've identified a waste product that is causing harm to the planet and you've been able to turn that now into a covetable product. Tell us a little bit about that flavor and, and some of the applications for this prawn oil that you're creating. So that would be, uh, you can literally use it for any seafood dish. Um, you can um, add it to the um, prawn linguine to recreate the beautiful Italian dishes or you can add it to them uh, Asian um, dishes like laksa, or we've been experimenting with all the different types of the dipping sauces for fish and chips or for the prawns. Worked out beautifully, we just done the testing today with the local uh, oyster shed. Everyone loved the product and uh, yeah, getting really good feedback on that. Great. So you're part of the Seafood for Good uh, Accelerator and you've got the crowdfunding campaign live now. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about where you're at right now and, and where you're hoping to go next. Um, we're very fortunate to partner uh, with the Austral Fisheries because um, even if we identified this wasted product, uh, the seafood processing waste is very hard to work with uh, because of the perishable nature of the product. And um, But also fisheries, that's the most sustainable fishery in the world, and they are actually vertically integrated into some of the seafood processing. So we are getting these prawn shells in the pristine conditions, ready uh, to transfer the flavor into our product. 
They've right. been uh, a great help with our pro project, and we've got our uh, first um, manufactured sample already, testing it around. Yeah. So I'm sure some people out there are going, gee, I wouldn't mind a bit of prawn oil from seaweedery via Austral Fisheries. So do you want to tell us uh, how people can get involved, how they can support their project and become a customer? Um, we need um, your support to um, produce our first batch. Uh, so at the moment we are experimenting with the samples, but to produce it, we are running the crowdfunding campaign. So if you, um, if our project resonates with your values or you just love amazing <laughs> different sources and want to try it, so please go to our campaign and uh, support us. Get your bottle and let's start cooking to save our oceans. I love it. So you can go to start some good and search for seaweedery or seaweedery.com.au where you can find out more. We wish you the best of luck on your journey, Natalie, and thank you for looking after Planet Ocean. Oh, thank you so much, Tim, for having us. Thanks.
shit out of